Hi everyone, welcome to another podcast. I'm Max Shannon and I'm extremely grateful to be sitting here today with Kevin Aitchison. He's head of Knight Frank Investment Management uh, with over 25 years experience in the UK property market. Um, before he joined Knight Frank Investment Management, he was with ING Real Estate Investment Management and he has many years of extensive experience of portfolio and fund management uh, of both the segregated funds and the collective investment scheme, uh, as well as being the investment, a member of the investment property forum. Um, so, Kevin, do you mind if I start off by asking a few general questions? Go for it. Thank you. Um, I think it would be quite interesting to know what the investment process is like from start to finish, so from maybe analyst level to your level, if it's like that. Uh, is it like that? In a business like ours, where we're 20 people, I would say it's a bit more fluid than that. In, in a bigger invest, real estate investment management business, there's no doubt people are probably a bit more pigeonholed in terms of the roles they, they have. So the investment process for us starts with understanding what a client is, is after, which could be just income, just capital growth, a mixture of the two, low risk, high risk, how long they want to invest for, all these sort of things. And when we understand all of that, we then come up with a strategy for delivering it. Um, and as long as the client signs it off, off we go. Uh, and then it's a question of finding the stock, which is appraised through cash flows and things like this. Goes through an investment committee that we have, which includes a non-executive member, which means even the fund manager can't just buy things without a sort of sign-off process. Um, and then ultimately, we are measured in very black and white terms. You know, there are, there's no arguing as to whether you've done a good job. It's whether we deliver the investment returns, which we say the said the asset would. It comes back to what I said before. It comes back to what the client is after. So, for example, so it's just very tailored. Yeah, very tailored. So, so we, we we run a long income fund here, which is about 800 million. That is, in many ways, really boring, really simple but it is what pension funds are looking for. They just want durable, sustainable income. So that is delivering an income return of 4.75% per annum distribution to the investors, and yeah. that's all they want. Whereas we act, for example, for a Middle East Saudi family office, and they're all about capital growth, uh, IRR, total returns. So it really depends what we're looking for. We act for a lot of Asian clients. They use a lot of debt. So again, they're further up the risk curve and there are for a mixture of capital growth and income, albeit predominantly the income side. So let's say you're a, a client of yours wants a kind of risk averse yep. portfolio. What would the breakdown of the portfolio, portfolio look like? The UK market return, the average UK market return, which is measured by a measuring organization called MSCI. So that has, that has an index effectively and so they want that market return and we're tasked with with providing it so when you invest with, with something like that that will probably have 40 to 45 the, the average portfolio in that index will probably have 40 to 45 percent in retail maybe 30 odd percent in industrial 25 these figures won't be right but it'll give 25 percent in offices and then it have some alternatives so what we would do is structure a portfolio which broadly mirrors those percentages, but we go overweight or underweight where we think the outperformance is going to come from. 
So okay. that, that, that's one type of client. For the clients who are income driven, that really, I mean, in that, that fund's 800 million and probably 75% of it is what we'd call alternatives. And by alternatives, I mean student accommodation, hotels, leisure, um, care homes. So things outside offices, industrial and retail. And the reason for that is they tend to be long leases and they tend to be have indexation on the leases, which me means they're an inflation hedge. Mm. So again, it's doing a different thing, you see. Okay. So if um, your client in a certain part of the UK or, or uh, Europe... Income-driven assets, um, which running a cash flow, and depending on their hold period, we believe would deliver what they're after. But okay. in doing that, we would build them a portfolio, but it would have a degree of diversification. So let's just say we bought, I don't know, a few food stores. We probably wouldn't want more than 20% of the fund in food stores, because if food stores had a nightmare for whatever reason, uh, if you're overexposed, so we would look at diversifying across different sectors. I think a huge hot topic, of course, is Brexit. Yeah, well, what's that? <laughs> um, what have your have your clients been kind of standoffish, or have they be still been piling in? Um, that's quite interesting. That so we obviously act for different types of clients. Yeah. So our Middle East family office has stopped investing here. Wow. We also acted for a big French institution, which has divested from the UK. Mm. Which you know, so that for us is a direct impact on our business. Um, through no four of ours, which is pretty frustrating. But then our Korean investors continue to invest here. And there are various reasons for that, in, in that the hedging costs of the Korean one, although they, they tend to look in US dollars a lot, but the, the hedging costs relative to sterling are really positive for them. And sterling is really weak, so they get better value for money. So those guys are still investing, which is quite interesting. Um, you find the UK institutions are still investing, but they tend to be very long-term investors. Yeah. And real estate's not rocket science. In my view, it's all about location. You know, if you buy the worst asset, but it's in the right spot, whilst the market will market values will go up and down, you're always going to let it. And as yeah. long as you have, yeah, you know, real estate is really simple. As long as you have control over point of exit, and as long as you buy in the right location then you'll be fine. Yeah. Where people really get in trouble is if they're in the wrong location or they have no control over point of exit. Mm. So if you've got a five-year loan and you have to sell after five years and that happens to be when the market's on its knees, you've got a problem. Yeah. For the clients that have decided not to invest in the UK anymore, where have they started to invest? Um, so the French client we work for is massive anyway and they're always investing all over Europe. So they've okay. come out of, of the UK. Our Asian clients, who are predominantly Korean, still investing here, but they are also investing on the continent. I would say the euro is probably a bit more attractive to them at the moment. I think what is comforting, though, is when I go out to Seoul, where I go quite a lot, whilst Brexit undoubtedly concerns them, understandably, I would say to a man or woman, they all see the UK, particularly London, as their number one long-term investment target. Which is why I think once we get Brexit out of the way, the UK will be fine. Yeah. Um, how, how much of a change since we decided to vote out uh, in terms of transaction volumes and 
vacancies. Um, how much have you seen that change since 2016? Um, addressing the two, transaction volume. So if I showed you a chart from just after the vote, they fell significantly. But after about three or four months, they started picking up again. And it's been great, really positive, until the start of this year. Oh, wow. Where it's really dropped off again. Um, and I think that happened because when we had the vote, one, it was a bit unexpected. So people weren't really expecting it to happen. So everyone went, whoa, what does this mean? Um, and then people realized, actually, it doesn't necessarily mean an awful lot. And then it took like ages to get into the actual sort of trying to do a deal. So, and at the moment, so if you take here, the City of London as an example. The City of London, over the last five years, probably 70 to 80% of transactions have been overseas investors. And the number of transactions that have happened this year compared to last year are massively lower. And that's just because there aren't as many international investors here. But that's not just Brexit. You know, that's also things like China, who have been probably before the Koreans the hottest money here. Mm. They've got capital controls, so it's very difficult to get money out of China at the moment. So there are other factors that come into this. So that's on the sort of transactional side. It was dropped off, and then for a couple of years it was great, and now it's dropped off again. But that'll be back. What people want is certainty. Yeah. Um, on the occupational side, amazingly, um, the vacancy rate has just continued to fall. So, but that's driven by tech. Yeah, I was. Uh, is that because of the employment has been extremely good? Yeah. So if you get if you get more people in jobs, they need more space. I've been quite confused about that because if the economy just isn't doing that well, why why has why have businesses just been carrying on to carrying on to? So employ? so when Brexit hit, there are all these stories about oh, where there's going to be hundreds of thousands of jobs going yeah. in the finance sector and um, Bloomberg, I think it's Bloomberg, do a survey periodically where um, they monitor, they, they go and speak to all these companies and say, how many jobs do you think you're going to move, blah, blah. And they've been doing this to the same companies. And at day one, it was like there's going to be 100 or 1,000, started dropping all the way down, all the way down. I spoke at a conference in the Middle East in February, and I haven't looked since then, at which point they were projecting about 5,000 jobs were going to go. And yet, since the vote, there have been more than 5,000 new jobs. Yeah, in the city. oh wow. But in the tech, there have been, I think the growth is, I saw a figure, it's either 15 or 17% employment growth, because it's the area sort of around Old Street, Shoreditch, Farringdon, is our sort of big grand Silicon Valley type thing. <laughs> loads and loads of startups. Mm. Apparently, we have the third most startups in tech in the world. Well, in the UK, and people don't look at that. People don't like, you know, newspapers don't like good news stories. Yeah. And what you've also seen is those guys were all sort of on the periphery of the city. You're now beginning to see them move in a little bit, not yeah. right into this area, but definitely moving in a bit. So employment's been great. And the other really important thing was they had the Brexit vote, and two things happened then. One, developers were suddenly, whew, not sure I want to be building. And secondly, lenders to developments, spec developments, as opposed to lenders to a standing investment, um, people weren't lending because they were worried. So what that did, that cut off the, the supply chain for new buildings. So you had a, you got, you've, you've had a combination of very few new buildings, 
but with record employment and increasing demand for space. And so rents continue to go up. Talking about offices and vacancy, what do you think the future is for offices? Do you, do you believe into all this you know, sharing economy and flexible um, workspace, like a WeWork type solution? Fine enough, we spent, we spent a month in WeWork between oh, leaving right. our own space and, and because we assigned our old space, but we couldn't, the fit out here wasn't finished, so we had a month and we went to WeWork. I think it's great, but I think it depends who you are and how big you are. So for us, in my view, it really didn't work. Okay. So we're in this glass box. I'm, I'm by one on the glass wall. I could have stood up and read the screen of the bloke in the next room. Um, so you don't get a lot of privacy and the meeting rooms are all glass. So one day I was in there and someone was doing a strategy presentation and you could have just stood in the corridor and watched. Yeah. So for people like us, I just didn't, didn't think it worked. I think it works for if, if you're probably up to 10 and you might be growing quickly or whatever, or if you can take a whole floor, then they will run it for you. Yeah. Um, the other issue for me, what I'm not sure about, is, is what is the right model? Because there are quite a few operators out there and they all operate a bit differently. Personally, I'm not completely convinced by WeWork, who are interesting at doing an IPO. Uh, of course. Yeah, and I was told today, and I don't know whether this is true, but I was told today, they originally were looking at floating with a market cap value of 47 billion, and it's dropped to 20. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I remember reading somewhere that it was incredibly overvalued. Unbelievable. So they've taken, they have grown phenomenally. They've taken all this space all over the world, but a huge number of those buildings are still in rent-free periods. Now it, wow. it seems to be phenomenally successful, but I personally, I expect to see probably at least one of the big service office operators go bust. Wow. I don't know which one, but, but I do. I just think they'll take a bit of shuffling around to work out what the right model is. Yeah. Because um, they will invest a lot of money fitting out their buildings. So yeah. if you get it wrong, that's going to hurt. Yeah. Um, I remember reading, well, not I remember, I read one of your blogs. I think it was your most recent blog um, yesterday. And... In one of your in one of your points, it they're, they're normally about politics, aren't they, mine? <laughs> well, one of the points you had was um, you think that tech will massively affect real estate, and it kind of already has. Mm. Um, do you think for that point you're mostly focusing on the fact that this whole Amazon effect and like this rise in e-commerce is really benefiting? industrial yeah, I mean, instead of retail. I think people are shopping differently today. I mean, the sector is, you've just hit the nail on the head, they are the two sectors it's, it's impacted on yeah. negatively on retail. And then people say to me, is retail dead? I mean, it's definitely not dead. No. But I think it's more people want to go somewhere, you want to go to a shopping centre where you can do your shopping, you can maybe put your, put your child in a like maybe a little play area for half an hour. You can go to the cinema, you can go and have something to eat. Um, and I think people want, want, want to go to destinations nowadays. It's part of your social life, yeah. just going down the shops. Yeah. Um, but retail is definitely not dead. I just think it's changed. I also, and, and I think town centres where retailers really struggled, I'm convinced they will reinvent themselves and they will reinvent themselves 
through the construction of more residential, which we need. So if you have more residential, more people living there, that then means you need more leisure, so restaurants and yeah. stuff like that. So I just think they'll be different town centres to what they used to be. Don't you, don't you think that there's such under supply of residential houses and just, you know, generally? Ricks said that if there's a hard Brexit, there could be over 200,000 work, uh, construction workers, or all, uh, yeah, construction workers lost by 2020. Uh, I, I do think the construction industry generally is vulnerable to EU workers leaving, yeah. because a huge amount of the skilled workforce, you know, bricklayers and stuff like that, are from places like Poland and whatever. I think that applies to the construction industry, industry generally. I think we have a massive housing problem here. Um, you know, we are a society which, in my view, is there's quite a lot of nimbyism here. Everyone says, "Yeah, we need we need more houses," but not near my village. You know, that that sort of thing. Um, so I, I do think we have some issues there, and I also expect house values to fall if we have a hard Brexit. But again, long term, that wouldn't worry me because we're a small island. We've got too many yeah. people, not enough houses. Okay. And again, it comes back to the same point I made earlier. As long as you are not forced to settle, you'll be fine. Yeah. Um, what do you think of Mark Carney's original banking statement saying that a no-deal Brexit could uh, make house prices fall by 35%? Do you think that's accurate or do you think that's just, no, I just don't see all the that, measures just over-exaggerated? I, I just... Personally, I, I think I expect house prices to fall, but 35% is massive. Yeah, that's huge. You know, they didn't fall that much in, in the global financial crisis. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I just, I just don't see that. I, I just, no, I, I, I think there was a lot of scaremongering then, but I also think the truth was, and remains today actually, nobody knows what a hard Brexit means. Yeah. Now, you might find, we have a hard Brexit, actually... It's all okay. I suspect that's not the case, but it might be. People just don't know. So I would say there was an element of scaremongering there. Uh, just going back to the retail sector, how do you think? What do you think needs to happen in order for them to bounce back? Do you do you think that's maybe government policy and investment, or you know, a reduction in economic uncertainty, and or introduce introduction of tech into the retail? I, I, I just think it will adjust on its own. It will be a function of what I said earlier, more residential building in town centres, so you'll get more leisure retail. Yeah. I think that will happen automatically. I think one of the problems is that a lot of retailers, it's all been about, I mean, I'm no expert on retail, but it's all been about opening more stores to grow your profits, from what I can work out. It hasn't so much been about, we've got 10 stores, how do we increase the profit in those 10 stores? Mm. And I think a lot of retailers have just got far too many stores. They're yeah. far too, so they sort, of, they sort of cannibalize their own profits from each other. So I think you're going to see a period of, let's call it rationalization, which sort of means anything, but a period where that they are going to rationalize their portfolios. At which point, I think it'll be fine. I think it'll all stabilise. I just think that's going to take a while. What I do think, so we, we wouldn't buy any retail at the moment. Yeah. Might. There could be exceptions to that, but as a rule, I think retail is still overvalued. I think values will continue to fall. Wow. Um, I read that Sadiq Khan wants to implement rent controls, and I was just wondering how that, what, what do you think of that and how that would affect the market? 
How do I feel from it? If, <laughs> so from, from a business point of view, I'd rather they didn't. I mean, we don't invest much in residential, but like most people, okay. we, are, we are looking at it. Um, and, you know, I'm a bit of a believer in a, in a capital market sort of regulates itself. Yeah, exactly. I do believe that. But, but there is a but on that. People have got to live somewhere. I also think society has a, a responsibility. Um, but the, prob the problem comes back to what we were talking about earlier. There's not enough housing, be it to buy or to rent. So the amount, so you fi if you finished uni and went out to find a house, you'd probably end up renting unless someone can give you a deposit. And your rent would be far higher than your mortgage would be. Yeah. And that's where there's something a bit wrong there. Yeah. Is sustainability uh, a huge part? It's becoming bigger and bigger and bigger. So pre the global financial crisis, it was starting to get a bit of head of steam. And then when the financial crisis happened, I think it took a bit of a backseat and people were more worried about, blimey, we need to make sure our companies are okay and all this sort of stuff. But it's quite noticeably been growing the last few years. And if you could come up with a bright idea for launching, as an investment manager, a fund which ticks a lot of ESG boxes, mm. I expect you could sell it quite easily. Mm. And I expect it to become a bigger and bigger thing. The UK is miles behind places like Australia in terms of the, the sustainability of our buildings. Do you think that as it becomes bigger and bigger, um, so the sustainability aspect, it might merge into how buildings are valued. Yeah, I do. And strangely enough, until that happens, it won't get as big a head of steam as it should do. But okay. That will happen. So maybe that's a, a law change that's necessary. Yeah, I mean, there, there are some law changes already over you know, you, the, the amount of energy um, efficiency that you have in buildings and whether you can let them and stuff like this. but. Yeah, I just think more, there has to be a bigger impact on value. But that's going to come about, not so much from yields, but more from the rents people pay. Okay. I think you'll get to the point where tenants will say, and we're not there yet, maybe some tenants are doing it, but tenants will say, you know, unless the building has got a certain energy rating, I'm not going to look at it. Yeah. And But for the building that's got the right energy rating, they'll pay more. Yeah. See, so, and the minute they start paying more, it affects the value. That will happen. Definitely. Although you don't necessarily uh, invest in residential, do you think that it might be a good idea to balance the client's portfolio so it might be a bit more safer for them? Um, yeah, you no know, I do and, and whilst we don't at the moment, we like virtually every other UK investment manager is are looking at residential and how we get into it. So my own view is that in 20 years time, the institutional residential investment market will be far bigger than the commercial one is. is, is wow. my view. So everyone's trying to get into it, um, it's just a question of how, so there's loads of competition. But to put that in context, when I was back at ING, and, and ING, because they're Dutch, the continent, places like Holland and Germany, are far more rental societies anyway. When I mean, ING, I'm exaggerating here, but sort of owned half of half the residential in Holland. I am exaggerating, and so we here, we um, basically bought a portfolio of residential and to try to sell it down. This was about 2004, 2005. Couldn't sell it. No one was interested back then. 
it's really, really changed, whereas now everyone is interested in residential. And it's partly for the reason you said, diversification. It's partly because there's a lack of supply and therefore it should perform reasonably well. Um, so it will grow significantly. There are also another couple of points that I read on your blogs as well that you mentioned globalisation structurally impacting pricing. Yeah. Um, do you mind explaining this? Yeah, I suppose what, what I mean by that is 20 years ago, whilst there might have been the odd Korean investor here, say, there wouldn't have been many. You know, there okay. wouldn't have been many Chinese investors or Australian investors. You know, people then invested more in their own world. Now that is really, really changed. So as I said earlier, you know, city is traditionally 70, 75% of investors are international. Yeah. That wasn't like that 25 years ago. Yeah. Um, so that on its own affects pricing. Certainly for what you might call the international gateway cities, us, Paris, New York, probably Berlin, Frankfurt, places like that. Um, and the world is becoming a smaller place. So in somewhere like Korea, where there is a huge amount of insurance company, security company, pension money, the country is too small to satisfy all of that demand, so yeah. they have to go elsewhere. There was another point uh, that you said, the dem demographic changes um, in, well, you, said, you mentioned the falling population in Germany and the ageing population in uh, the UK. Do you think that now you, you might start to invest more in alternative properties like social housing or supportive yeah, housing? Yeah, I mean, we invest a lot in alternatives already, um, but not in residential alternatives. But funny that you say that because I, I think alternatives in residential is a really interesting area. Yeah. And I'm talking their retirement because yeah. you know, at the moment the UK builds around 2,000 retirement units a year and they reckon we need 6,000. And that's only going to get worse because we're an aging population. Yeah. You know, people are living longer and therefore care homes, you're going to have more care homes. Um, problem is people are, people are a bit, sometimes people worry about care homes, investing in care homes because a few of the operators have gone belly up. You know, when you see on Panorama and they have these secret filming and there's dodgy things going on. People worry about bad PR from stuff like that. Yeah. But I do think a lot of those things you just talked about will be yeah, quite popular from an investment perspective. Do you think that a recession yeah. in the immediate future? Good question, that. Um, I think if we have a soft Brexit, i.e. a Brexit with a deal, yeah. I think we'll be all right. Okay. I think, so if we have a soft Brexit, I think we will have maybe a bad quarter maybe two which could be technically a recession yeah, but yeah. if you only have two I mean I don't look at it that way yeah. but then I think you'll bounce back because what's happened the last few years because of the Brexit uncertainty companies UK companies are generally very cash rich but they're not investing because they're worried about Brexit mm. and I think once all the uncertainty is out of the way you'll get a bounce I do think yeah. you'll get a bounce, an economic bounce if there's, no, if there's a hard Brexit with no deal that potentially one or two quarters for me, it could easily be one to two years. Wow. Um, so I, I would expect a recession. Have you have you been putting in your backup plans and crisis plans into your... There's not really a lot we can do. Um, is, it, is that because of the, the nature of the liquidity? In, in 
yeah, the so market. Yeah, so I mean, real estate, yeah, occasionally you might get someone come to see us and say, oh, I, want, I want to invest in real estate and I've got a two year investment horizon, for which we would say, real Don't estate bother. is a long term asset class. Yeah. Unless you, you get it really lucky, not least, your in and out costs are 8%. So, unless you, you are really lucky, that just doesn't work for you. So fortunately, most of our clients are long-term investors. So as long as someone's a long-term investor, and I come back to this thing about location, we would still invest today. So I, I think in, in that sense, and I'll tell you the other advantage real estate has is pension funds, for example, who in the, which in the UK are, are quite mature. They, they really want income, they want income, they yeah. want income. Really, about the only asset class that gives you income at the moment is real estate. Yeah. And it's secured by a physical asset. Now you can get income from some uh, equities, but yeah. probably they're riskier than real estate. Yeah. So real estate is very popular at the moment, and all the time bond yields are really low. I think that will remain the case. As you've been saying, the real estate is a long-term investment strategy. Yeah. Um, when you when you decide to exit and sell, what? How do you maximise the Value. It depends what the client's after. So, so if it's a client which is, if, if you're acting for a, someone who's a property company or developer, then they will almost always sell once the development is finished and let, because okay. that's their point of maximum return. Y yeah, exactly. Um, if we're acting for one of our UK pension fund clients, and we were doing a refurbishment or a redevelopment and then letting it, it would depend on the opportunity cost of money because the point of maximum return would be once you've finished it and let it. But because they're a long-term investor, if you've finished it and let it, and then it's thrown off a decent income stream, you might well catch it, you might well keep it in any case. Mm. So it really does depend on the client.